tells us in James 1, 17, said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, and whom is no, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And Hebrew 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? It doesn't change. Whatever he was yesterday, he's today. Whatever he is today, he's going to be the same tomorrow. In your life and in mine, if we allow him to be. Hallelujah. He's not going to, he's not going to supersede our free choice. And I hear people say, well, God did so and so. He didn't do anything unless you let him. That's the reason why he says he needs uh, all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. All of it. He can't do anything unless he has all of it. And, and the old saying used to be, and still good, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He's not going to be a Lord of a peace. Hallelujah. And we, and we say that, you know, that this nation is not like it used to be. No, it's not. But God's the same. The people's not the same. The people's what's changed. And, you know, when Sunday came in times past and we'd be riding through our, our little hometown going to church, you'd see families loading their kids into the cars going to church. Going to church. Why? It was Sunday. That's church day. What's happened to that day? Praise the Lord. Everyone used to proudly stand for the, for the American anthem when it was sang, with their eye on the flag and their heart on their chest. What's happened to that? God's still in it. People's ones are backing off. And, and I can never understand why people in this nation that's, that's asking and, and beating the drums for change is destroying their own their own home. There's nobody in this land that is not overly blessed compared to any other land in the world. Nobody. And yet they think they need to change this or change that. I, I dare say the, the young lady that was in the Olympics that ended up in Russia, the basketball player, in prison over there, didn't think several times I'd rather be home than here. I'd lots rather be home than here, hallelujah. Past revivals, we've had great moves of God in the past, great moves. Uh, I think of the one that in uh, Duncan Campbell in, on the Isles of Lewis in the Hebrides. This is where the ancestry of President Trump came from. In fact, his aunt gave him a Bible that was used in that revival. Amen. Two elderly women, and I preface this by saying when we go to nursing homes, and a lot of times the people say, well, you know, I just don't have anything to do anymore. I said, you've got the greatest opportunity you've ever had to pray for this nation, this nation's people, because you've got lots of time, and, and that's what this nation needs. There was two elderly ladies prayed for two years, very elderly ladies, infirmed, prayed. For two years, and revival broke out that changed the, the nation. I don't know of any revival ever, the history of all of them, they started with prayer. We want, if we want revival in this church, it's going to start with prayer. And I know the pastor lots of times invites people up here to, to the altar, and, and very few come because, you know, after all, we can do that at home. 
We can pray any place we want to. Yes, you can. But when this country stood strong for God, these altars were always full. Were always full. McKamey's had a song they came out with that said, little children are crying and dying each day. Mom and Dad's doing their own thing because there's dust on the altars where we used to pray. And when I heard that, that struck my heart like a knife. They used to be washed with tears, praying for loved ones, lost family members, and now they collect dust. In fact, a lot of churches don't even have them anymore. Hallelujah. If it worked in the past, why wouldn't we want to do it again? I, I heard uh, the pastor on, the, on his radio program two different times saying, we used to sing the old songs. You know, I just love good songs. I love songs worshiping God, but how come we don't sing the old songs anymore? When the Spirit of God was really moving. I don't think the songs we have today is what keeps him from moving. But they did used to move. Just simple old hymns. Why? It was the people, the heart of the people, praise the Lord. The Word of God told them, you will find me when you search for me. But a lot of people say, you know, we're satisfied just like we are. And it's easy to get satisfied if that's all you want. Anything, any station in life, you can become satisfied in if that's all you want. I'm reminded of, of the old fellow sitting on the easy chair on the porch and sitting there every day and every day. And neighbor finally asked him, he said, don't you ever think about doing something, getting up out of there and doing something? He said, oh, yeah. But if I just sit here a little while, it goes away. <laughs> yeah. If I just stay here a little longer, it goes away. Satisfied where he was. And another one that reminded me, and, and you'd have to know these people to understand the story. South of Bethany, I was cutting through the country one time and I, on roads that I wasn't familiar with. And I ended up on this road. I took a right turn and it was a dead end. Dead ended right into the horseweed patch, half as tall as this ceiling. As I was turning around, I seen, noticed three people standing there, old guys, just standing there just watching me. I got through the horseweed watching me. And I was telling the fellow about it, and he said, yeah, he said, my neighbor was telling me, he went down there one time, these people had a farm that was left to them by their uh, parents, and they bought, had junk vehicles sitting around that they'd bought, and one thing done had left over. So I was down there one time seeing about getting a part for something, he said, I, there wasn't anybody around, but I could hear a car running, or a motor running. None of them drove. Walked down through this path, through the horse weeds, and here these three old duffers were sitting in this Cadillac, sitting on blocks, running the engine, sitting in the air conditioner, drinking beer. Yeah. And that's like a lot of the church people today. I'm not talking about drinking beer, but they're sitting with their wheels up on blocks. They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They want to feel the, they want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit as long as he comes where they are, what they're doing. But they're not, go they're not going anywhere. And, and, you know, Pastor Larry and Pastor Bill, God has set them over us as watchmen. And oftentimes they'll say, you know, God's got a trumpet that he blows. 
And the last trump in, in Revelations, I'm sure, when the people are called in from the field, they used to be that the priest would stand on the corners of the, of the uh, temple and blow the trumpet and call God's people out of the fields. The people that weren't his didn't come through the trumpet. Call them out of the fields for worship. And Pastor Larry and Pastor Bill blows that trumpet about every Sunday, trying to call people closer. Call them to salvation, call them a closer walk with the Lord. But just like the, the Jews in times past when God was talking to them, they said, no, we're not coming. We're all right as we are. We're satisfied. We're satisfied. And, and the American people are satisfied. You know when the greatest... Revivals came is when there was hard times in the nation. Hard times, like the Great Depression. Look at 9-11, how they lined up on the steps of churches and on the White House. Lasted about three weeks, maybe. Hard times. We're too affluent. We've got too much. We don't think we need much. As long as people are just getting by, they're enjoying the life that God has given them. They don't see any need for any more. Praise God. Hallelujah. And God, in Isaiah, he called the people to him, and they said, we will not. And he said, therefore, hear this. I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their very thoughts, because they will not hearken to my word. The evilest thoughts that they've thought of other people, that's what's going to be brought upon them. That because you will not listen and repent, I will bring the vilest of evil of your deeds against others upon you and upon your children. I think that's what we're experiencing in this nation. People say, no, I'm, I'm comfortable. I've got everything that I need. Praise you, Jesus. The Word of God tells us in this Bible... They were to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, and to walk in it. In Mark 16, and the pastor about stole everything I had in this message one time, uh, 15 through 20, as Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples, he says, these signs shall follow those that believe. These signs, those that believe. They shall cast out devils. They shall talk with new tongues. Praise you, Lord. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. You know, as I was reading that, there's, in Scripture, numbers, words have numbers, or numbers have, have a meaning. Seven is the number of completion. Praise the Lord. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And in this scripture, when you read it in the King James, it has eight shells. And in 15, eight, excuse me, 17, 18, the last two verses, it has seven for completion. These signs shall follow those that believe. In the New Testament, that was the believer. All of that was the believer. Not what we consider, you say a little prayer and you're saved and that's it. In order to be a complete Christian, complete child of God, these signs shall follow those that believe. How many believers we got here this morning? 
How many should these signs be following? Those that believe. Those that believe. And, you know, I've prayed for a lot of people, and I, I honestly can tell you that everybody I've prayed for didn't get healed or the circumstance didn't change, but a lot of them have. A lot of them have. And when I was, when I was in Grant City, I needed a place to live, so I was at an auction, a land auction. And this is crazy, but I'm crazy. They had a land auction, and I bought 80 acres, sight unseen. Never even saw it. A neighbor of mine told me, he said, you know, there's pretty good 80 acres over there by me that's for sale. It's going to be on this sale bill. So I bought it. I bought an old house, a store and a half house, five miles away, jacked it up. Got uh, a mover to move it for me. Set it on a walk-in foundation. Made a nice home for my family. Worked on it, cleared the land off. As I was clearing the land off, every time I'd come to what we'd call a field stone, it wasn't rocky ground, but there'd be stones in it like so, I would go down by this ditch and make an altar and dedicate that field to the Lord. Because I read, well, that's what Abraham done. It just sounded like a good thing to do at the time. As time went on, we got into a drought. I, had, I was raising purebred Simmental cattle and selling breeding, breeding stock. As time went on, we got into seven years of just terrible, terrible. At the end of June, I had fed up by the 1st of August. There wasn't any more coming on. I'd go to the bank and borrow more money. I had a friend at the bank. He liked to lend me money. So after uh, about six years, I was $132,000 in debt with no hope of paying it whatsoever. So I went back on the road. I said, I, I know where I can make, make a living and pay my debtors off. I went back on the road. Before I did, there was a man, we had a gospel sing at the church, and a man came there from Blockton, Iowa, and I told this story the other morning at men, uh, men's breakfast, or Wednesday night, I guess it was, and uh, from Blockton, and he asked me one night, he said, uh, Do you, would you like to have a job? I said, boy, I need a job. I need two or three jobs. And uh, he said, well, if you'll be in Atlanta, Georgia, Thursday morning, he said, I'm a superintendent on a construction site down there, and you've got a job. That same night, Chuck Buck, from the Buck Knife fame, was in our little town because of the crazy pastor we had at the time, bless his soul. He knew Chuck Buck. He said, I, I know him. He said, if I ask him to come here, he would just come here. I thought, I don't sound quite right. And lo and behold, there came Chuck Buck. And he gave his testimony, told how his granddad had started the knife uh, factory, and his dad took it over, and then he took it over. And from down here to Olathe, Kansas. And he moved to California. And he got down during this same period I'm talking about. He got down where he had 400 employees and he couldn't pay them. And the bank that had been, been uh, bankrolling him said, we've gone as far with you as we can go. Anyway, to make a long story short, he 
knew a banker that invited him to a bank meeting. There was four other bankers in that meeting. He told him the, what his situation was, and he, then they voted to back him. And he came out with the, the marine knife that they used, the, the big knife for the, um, I don't forget what movie that was. Anyway, and he saved the company. And I went up, and, and he didn't know me from Adam. Never seen me before. I'd never seen him. And I'd lost my farm because um, Small Business Bureau said if I didn't farm it, they foreclosed on it. And I had told a friend of mine that was farming in the neighborhood, I said, go ahead and farm it. Give FHA all the money from it. I don't, I don't care. He walked up. When I went up to him, I told him, I said, I really appreciate your testimony. He laid his hands on each shoulder. And he said, I understand that God's going to do the same for you. God's going to do the same for you. Three years later, I had the farm back. Amen. Surely did. That's the kind of God that we serve. Kind of God that we serve. Amen. And when I, when I went to Atlanta, the superintendent there, he was Catholic, raised by Catholic, and I started witnessing. He said, I don't want to hear it. And I made up my mind, whatever he gives me to do, I want to do it so good that he can't ignore me. And finally, he, to the point that he would come and get me and say, can you go over there and straighten that mess out? They're not getting anything done. I'd go over there. And he'd come by in an hour or so, and I'd, are you done yet? I said, heavens no, I just got started. He'd walk off laughing. He said, well, don't you know we got other things to do too? So God just kept bringing us closer and closer together. And one day, he found out he had cancer. He was 52 years old. Robust of a man. He said, they've told me that I've got cancer. It's incurable. It's terminal. I don't understand how it can be because I don't feel that bad. I went on to a job in, Can in Kansas, and I heard later on that he was really bad off, lived at Brockton, Iowa. So I bought a little living Bible, and I marked in there what I'd like for him to read. I went to Brockton, Iowa. His family was there from everywhere, house full of people. I couldn't talk to him. But I had this in a brown paper sack, and I took it, and I told him, I said, excuse me, I need to talk to you before I leave. I said, I, he liked to read Zane Gray books, lots of them. I said, I know you like to read, but I don't think you read this book very much, and I'd like for you to read it. He said, I sure will. I sure will. I hugged his neck and left. In about three weeks' time, he came to the job in Kansas. He couldn't keep his hands off me. He just, I'm so thankful you come to work for me. I'm just so thankful that you came to work for me. And I, what I was working on, he said, Donnie, don't pay it. Don't, don't work that hard. That Let somebody else do that. I'm just so thankful you came to work for me. And in a couple of weeks' time, he was dead. But he got saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lamb of God. Hallelujah. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's so important to tell people what God has done in our life. While I was at that farm and during the drought, I, I was working at a, a uh, booth for the Assembly of God at the county fair. It hadn't rained. This was like in 
August. It hadn't rained since June. 100 mile an hour wind blowing about every day or 100 degree temperature and 35, 40 mile an hour wind. Everything was where if you drive out across a, a pasture, you just iron the grass right into the ground with the heat. You couldn't tell whether there was cattle, hogs, or what was standing out there in that pasture for the heat waves coming off the ground. Day in and day out and day in and day out. And while we was there at the, the fair, there was a little cloud come up. The leaves on the trees were dead, lots of them. And wind blew out of it, and everybody oohed and gnawed, and just a little cloud. About, this was about 9 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock, and it went on west. I got through, shut the booth down, drove six miles south to, to my place, sat out in the yard in the chair because we didn't have air conditioning, it was too hot to go to sleep. Sat out there, and I happened to just look over on the western horizon, and here was this little cloud like this right on the horizon. My thought was, yeah, you insignificant thing. You're going to cause them people to think they're going to get rain, but they won't. Because you were here and you didn't rain here. And then scripture says, you don't put scripture inside you. Then scripture hit me and said, but God, you said you're no respecter of persons. And my Bible tells me you made it rain for Elijah, and you can make it rain for me if you wanted to. And I was sitting about a 45 degree to the horizon, and all of a sudden, I felt a breeze come out of the back of my neck, and I looked, and here came this cloud. I said, no, these things don't happen, but it is happening. Cloud moved up, up there and stopped. Just deadly silence, no sound at all. I said, Lord, I know you didn't move that cloud just to show me you can move a cloud. You know I need rain. And it went splat, 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 and stopped. And I said, you know, I need more rain than that. And it started raining, just nice, heavy rain. You know, I thought, I could sit there all night, but it didn't. About five minutes, I moved in on the porch. I was soaking wet. Anyway, the next morning, I had a Baptist friend, a good neighbor of mine, a good man east of me. He'd been to town, it was Saturday morning coffee with his friends and when he came out he could come driving up the driveway we lived off the road like an eighth of a mile and he said how much rain did you get and I said you had a little cloud last night and I told him, he said yeah I know about that cloud but how much rain did you get I said I don't know I've not even been out to see well let's go look had almost two inches of rain in the gauge amen now you would think that made a bumper crop all over my place but it didn't it made that when, when the corn was harvested and, and disaster payments was being figured, fellow ran the combine, he said, I've combined fields where they were so low that you couldn't even figure the acreage or the bushel per acre. He combined one field and went to 18 bushel an acre. He said, that's more corn than I've combined all day. He went to another field, 22 bushels an acre. Went to a little piece right out west of my house. He had a brand new John Deere combine, held 96 bushel to the hopper. This piece was like five acres. He didn't make it around the outside till the hopper was running over. He came in and dumped it. He said, I've never seen corn like this this year. Didn't make another round, the hopper was running over. 
That little, that little place went all, piece went almost 100 bushels to the acre. And I tell people, you know, I, it didn't make a bumper crop all over my place, but it made one right here. No man could move a cloud. That's been my anchor forever. They can say all they want to about all this thing being a myth, but I know better. No man could move that cloud, and no man made it rain. Only God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those that believe. So, you know, I, I'm just, I suppose, naive enough. I believe that's what's going to happen. If the Scripture says it, my mama told me when I was a little boy that this Word of God and it's true. So if it says it, that's, that's what he means. If any part of it's not true, then none of it's true. Amen. If you can't believe part of it, how can you believe all of it? Amen. Praise to Jesus. There was a lady in the hospital in Florida when I worked down there. She used to come to the church once in a while, and when we'd say, sing, look what the Lord has done, she thought she was so, had lived such a terrible life that God couldn't forgive her. And I got a call one night. I wasn't her pastor at all. I got a call one night. She wanted me to come to the hospital quite some ways off. So I drove down there, and when I got down there, she was in intensive care. They had called her people. From, she was originally from West Virginia. Called all of her people from West Virginia, said if you want to get to see your aunt or your mother or whoever she was to them alive, you need to get here now because all of her vital signs are falling. I walked into her room. Of course, she had tubes everywhere you could put a tube. She had her little pad, and she handed it to me. said, will you sing my song for me? I took her hands, and I sang, look what the Lord has done. Prayed for her and left. Two days later, they released her from the hospital. There wasn't nothing wrong with her at all. You think she can't sing that song with fervor now? Look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Look what he's done in your lives. Praise the Lord. Look what he wants to do. Two years ago, my younger brother, a good friend of mine, good friend of mine, was dying of cancer. We went down to see him down east of Springfield. He'd been unconscious for several days. And as I stood and looked at him, Scripture came to mind. God, you said, or Jesus, you said anything you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. So I laid my hand on him. Kathleen was there. I said, God, raise this brother up off of this sickbed, please. The brother younger than him was there. And he said, I knew he was never going to get up. But he did. For several months, we, we had fellowship with him. Several months. In just a day or so, they sent him home. They had told us while we was there, he's never going to be any different than what he is right now. Told his wife, take him home, because he's dying. He's never going to be any different. But God raised him up. You know what the biggest, the biggest miracle was? This next brother, younger than him, I always thought, if you're just a good person, that's all it needs to be. And we had told him, no, Richard, that's not it. If that's all there was to it, Jesus would never have to died for us. He said, I never thought 
that he'd ever get off that bed, but he didn't. And he gave his life to the Lord, serving the Lord this day. Amen. Hallelujah. Witnessing the glory of God. Wasn't anything I'd done. It's in the Word of God. It's what God does. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Go ye in all the world and preach to every creature. And they shall lay hands on the sick. People say, well, that's not talking about me. Or if you're a believer, it is. If you're a believer, it is. I've had people say, what if I lay hands on them and they don't get well? Well, pray again. That's what Jesus did. A blind man was brought to him from Bethsaida. He laid hands on him. He put spit in his eyes. And he said, what do you see? He said, I see trees like men walking. So he prayed for him again. The great evangelist. Uh, I don't forget his name. I probably lost his name. Smith Wigglesworth. It's reported that he raised 22 people from the dead. 22 people from the dead. But he had a daughter that was deaf and never did get healed. But that didn't stop him. And then you take William Seymour. You know, from, from Azusa Street. So now they claim there's over 900 million Pentecostals in the world. And about every one of them can trace their roots right back to Azusa Street. To a one-eyed black man that had smallpox when he's 30 years old and ended up being blind in that eye. In whose meetings they said they even saw feet grow. Saw fingers grow, hands grow on people, but was never able to cure his daughter. So what do you do? You just pray again. It's, it's not, I'm not offended. If some, I'm, I'm disappointed lots of times when somebody doesn't get healed, but it's not, not my ball game, it's God's. He just said, go. Go and lay hands on them and pray for them. We have people say, yeah, I'm a believer, all right, but I heard uh, Derek Prince say the other day, when you ask somebody, have you been baptized with the Holy Ghost, they say, yes, but. He said, you know what that but is? That's like an elephant without a trunk. So they don't, they don't. They're not speaking in tongues because it's a but. He said, that's like an elephant without a trunk. Hallelujah. When they say but. God's got it for everybody equally. There's not, a, there's not a better person, there's not a better image of God in the world than you when you're living in Christ, or you when you're living in Christ. Because that's what Jesus died for. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. And I believe if it's written in the Word of God, God will honor it. If we'll do what we're supposed to do, he'll do what he's supposed to do. Otherwise, I see no reason why he wrote it. Hallelujah. In Genesis, he said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. Now, I've, I've farmed and I've, I've planted crops that didn't come up. Did I just say, well, there's nothing to that? No. What did I do? I planted again. I planted again. Expecting what? Expecting it to come up. So when we lay hands on people, pray for people, expect something to happen. 
expect something to happen. I was in a home one time and then sitting with the granddad on the couch and he had a little granddaughter about like that and she had, she had a cold so bad that her eyes were swelled and she was just a miserable little girl. Got up and sat between me and her granddad. I just put my arms around her and I said, Lord, heal this little child. And it wasn't five minutes she had her little brother down on the floor beating him up. He healed her just like that. Amen. Her mother came to church. Her mother had such a fear. It wasn't a God, you know. Fear that she couldn't speak to somebody that she didn't know. She couldn't talk to people she didn't know. On a telephone, when she said when the telephone rang, if it was somebody that she knew, she could talk to. If it was a stranger, she couldn't talk to them. And if she was going to speak to anybody, like come to you or I, she had to rehearse what she was going to say, and that's all that she could say. She was standing in a prayer line one night, and I was praying for people. The pastor of that church asked me to pray for that line. She was at the end of the line. Young mother, probably 25. And when I got to her, her eye shadow, whatever it was, was running down the streak, black streaks down her face. And I said, what do you need? And she just went. And I didn't know her, but I knew exactly what she needed. Through the Holy Spirit, I prayed for her. And that was on a Sunday night. Wednesday night, I heard her outside just jabbering, just going outside the church, Wednesday night church. And I went out, and I said, Melody, what's wrong? She said, oh, a drunk just about hit her and her kids as they was coming out of the driveway coming to church. I said, but it doesn't stop you from talking about it, does it? She said, I've jabbered ever since the other night. God took the fear away from her, and that's all that was keeping her from talking was fear. So I want to say to you today, what is it stopping you from doing what Mark 16 says that believers ought to be doing, that we ought to be doing? We ought to go and do and expect. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Even the great faith that Apostle Paul had, you know, he said that he had a thorn that was buffeting him, and he prayed for God to God three times to remove it. And God finally told him, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, quit complaining and go back to work. Yeah, my grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. Lana, if you'd come, we'd be closing. Thank you, Jesus. We'll do what he asked us to do. He'll do what he says he would do. I think the biggest problem with our nation today is that people won't that they won't. The word's always for somebody else. I went through the same thing. I was probably one of the most bashful kids you've ever seen. Praise the Lord. In fact, I stuttered. I stuttered, stuttered bad. I remember I wasn't going to talk to nobody again because all I could do was stutter. I stood up in the seat, car seat one time trying to tell my parents, beating them on the shoulders. I saw a mule back there along the road, and they kept saying, what? Finally, I just said, yonk, yonk, yonk. <laughs> Seen a mule back there along the road. Thank God he, he took that from me. And I'm glad that he did. Let's stand.